Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 37th episode. I'm guessing most of you are watching the NBA Finals, which is an incredible series going on between the Cavaliers and the Warriors. And speaking of the Warriors, I have a former Warrior on my show today, and his name is Donald Foyle, who played in the NBA for 13 years as a big man for the Warriors and the Orlando Magic. And he was so gracious to have me at his home to, to have this interview with him, and it was just incredible being outside. And the things that we're going to talk about, actually, we talked about a lot of things in this interview, and what he's going to share with us today is his mindset as an athlete, what it takes to be a big man in the NBA, and why the role of the big man had changed. Also, he talks about the physicality of the game, why it changed. And he's going to talk a little bit about also the life after basketball or his life after basketball, which is a great story because he talks about how he got so involved in charities and writing a, a plethora of books and also going back to school to get his master's and MBA. So when you really hear his story, it really brings to light a really cool individual. So without further ado, let's go talk to Adonal. Hey, Adonal, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Man, thank you so much uh, for being on my show, and thank you so much for actually having me at your house in this beautiful scenery here in your backyard. This is a great office. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Well, a lot of things we're going to be talking about today, uh, one being just kind of getting, just having a better understanding of your mindset um, as a basketball player, you know, when you played in the, the college ranks and the professional ranks, but then talk a little about the Warriors and the finals right now. And then also how you, the the mindset that you developed throughout your career, how that has helped you life after basketball, as far as the charities that you're involved with and the books that you've written. So love to talk to you about that as well. Excellent. All right. Well, let's get this thing going. My favorite question is, what does mentally tough mean to you? I mean, I think that's a very intriguing thing because it it comes in so many different forms. I think as as a professional athlete, for me, being um, <clears throat> six eight ish, you know, <laughs> and characterized as six ten ish, um, uh, you know, mental toughness has always been really being mindful that you don't get beat uh, mentally. That I've always felt that uh, for me, mental toughness was about being persistent and really being in the trenches and not being afraid to get dirty. Um, it, it's been one of the defining hallmarks of my career, which is you may be t- more talented than me, you may do a lot of things better than me, but you will never outwork me. So for me, mental toughness was always about staying in the trenches a bit longer than the other person, always outworking them and uh, and, and, and really being protective of the the power of the mind and also the fragility of the mind. I, I think uh, being aware of that dynamic that, you know, if you control your mind and you control the power of the mind, you are a formidable uh, foe. But if you allow someone to penetrate that, then you could be defeated very easily no matter how, you, how physically strong your body is. So I always felt that mental toughness is, is this battle between um, the mind and the physical body. And, and, and I always felt that you know the athlete that understand that duality is an athlete that will be uh, that will be successful for a long time. Absolutely, and and we both know this. I mean, you could be the best athlete, the tallest athlete, the strongest athlete, but in that moment where you need it and the team needs it, and you're not mentally tough, and that's 
for things break down. So it's I don't care how good you are. It's it's about how dialed your mind is. So that's awesome. Now, when you think about your whole career, was there a moment where you can go back where it was very significant with regards to being mentally tough? Uh, for me, be, be, as an athlete, is is every night endeavor. As I said, <laughs> I was a six eight uh, athlete trying to play the center position, where the average height was seven two. <laughs> oh my God. You know, so every night for me was a battle of like survival. Like, am I going to make it out alive <laughs> at the end of the game? Um, because everybody was bigger, they were more skilled, and so uh, uh, it, part of the the mindset was I had to do battle every night. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to be uh, an undersized uh, big man um, that needs to compete with people that was superior in almost every way. And one of the ways that I did it was it, it was through really outworking my opponents. Uh, some nights it worked, some nights it, <laughs> it didn't. But it was always about... You know, leaving it all out there, being as tough as I can be, uh, making sure that if you play me, you will know that you're playing me because I am going to make you work. I'm going to make I'm going to really be there every second, no matter how many times you run me over. And trust me, I have been run over, um, run over a few times by a a few, (laughs) a few elite athletes. But I always was always will get up and I will always be there for the next one. And. So no matter how much you run me up, you better make sure that uh, I, I can't walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was, I mean, you talk about this, this work ethic and this discipline. When did you start that mindset? I, I think for me, that was a, a lifelong pursuit. My grandmother, um, they worked in the garden. I grew up on, on an island in the Caribbean um, with my grandparents, and they were working acres of property until they were 86, 87. They just, wow. they, they were unbelievable. And my grandmother had this annoying habit and uh, I love her for it, but it, it drove me crazy. She, um, I'll walk all day. And when I wanted to quit, she would say something like, you're at 99. And I'm like, okay, 99. All right. So she's like, you want away from a hundred. You're so close, you know? So I keep walking, expecting to get that hundred and it will never come. So, you know, by the end of the, night, at the end of the day, you know, I was like, okay, am I, am I at a hundred? And she's like, you're close, you're close. So <laughs> that has been like kind of um, the way I, I grew up, which is always walking on that edge. And she was always sharpening that edge of what it means to never be outworked and then never, not ever let anybody take away the thing that you can control most in your life, which is your effort. Absolutely. And I definitely want to talk about your effort and how that's translated to results for you throughout your career. But... Before we get into that, when you think about all the players you've, you've played against, who comes to mind is totally the mental, mental toughness or the mentally tough athlete that you've competed against? I, th- I think there were many. Uh, I mean, I think part of uh, the, the law of, uh, of, of professional sports now is this, is this understanding that I think that you can't be one without the other. So I think that... If you are lucky enough uh, to co- to make it to the NBA, by definition, you have had not only the talent, the physical talent, but you certainly have the mental capacity, you know, to play at that level because it requires so much. You are basically one of 450 players in the world, and um, most professional athletes have that mindset. They have to. Obviously, some will be better than others, and. The other thing is there are the ones you hear a lot about, you hear about the Kobe's, you hear about the Michael Jordan's, but uh, in my experience, 
a lot of the younger guys and a lot of the guys that were uh, less um, noteworthy were even more so because mm. they have to, right? right. Uh, there's no choice. I right. mean, if you are... If you're at the lower end of the totem pole, you better be mentally tough because every night is a battle. Uh, so I, I tend to think that the folks that uh, that I experience at the lower end of the totem pole, the guy who comes in and have three 10-day contracts but never get that, uh, uh, t that contract, so he goes down to the G League, he goes overseas, keep playing basketball when there's no reason for him to do it, you mm. know, and, and just so he can get that opportunity to come back and not, not knowing if he's going to get that opportunity. To me, that takes a special kind of awareness and a special t a, a kind of toughness to say, you know, I'm doing this, and I don't know what's going to happen. And, right. But yet, I, I think it's so important that I'm going to stay in the fight and I'm going to be you know, a dog in this race. And, I, and no matter what the outcome is, I'm going to be there. I, I think, to me, those were the more intriguing story. Yeah, not so much, uh, as much as I appreciate the Michael Jordan, as I appreciate the Kobe Bryant and, you know, and, 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 and the Steph Curry, I think you have, to, you have to look at the guys at the end of the bench because those, those are the most, uh, to me, the, the, the most volatile. Right, absolutely. When you think about your gift as a basketball player, when did you realize that this was your gift? I think it was a... It, I don't know if there's ever a, a point in time. I, I remember uh, coming to the United States because, uh, you know, somebody looked at me and said, you know, you might have some basketball skills. Might. I mean, I was terrible, but I had height. Mm -hmm. And then I was... I had height, but I, but I was skinny, and then I was, uh, you know, I was strong, and then I was short, <laughs> because you know, the, the more you advance in the sports, you realize that there's people that are stronger and taller than you. So, it was always this interesting thing, where every time I felt like I had uh, comfort about who I was as a basketball player, it changed, you know. So. Uh, when I first came to the United States, it was like, wow, you're going to be a good player. And then it was like, you were one of, uh, you know, a few hundred of the best players in the country. And then you were one of this, you know. Right. So I think you've always been defined, the better you get by the people uh, around you and the people that in, in some cases are better than you. And you always have to figure out, you know, what that means for you. It's a marker of how do you judge the next phase of your life. So I always felt like, I've always felt like as a basketball player, I was always behind Mm. Um, because I started playing at 15, so I felt like everybody had a comparative advantage on me, um, and, and therefore I had to outwork everybody and keep working. So I never felt comfortable as a basketball player because I never felt like I was on par with everybody else who spent their entire life playing where I was starting so late. Well, I read something about how the, one of the reasons why you picked Colgate University is because you wanted to, to be in a program where you can kind of slow things down. How much did that help you with your development? I think uh, a great, uh, a great deal. Uh, uh, one of the the interesting thing, as I, as I said, when you start late, uh, you wanted to make sure that you're in an environment where there is more learning, more emphasis placed on learning, and more emphasis placed on development, and and not just the basketball development, but the life development. I mean. Uh, 
I have never, um, three years ago, a few years before that, I've never seen snow. I've never been in a, <laughs> right. in an elevator. I've never been in an escalator. Now, um, you know, I, I had to make a decision about uh, 300 plus Division One school that gave me a scholarship. And, and, and how do I make a decision about where to go and, and what, what should be the values that I place and, 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 and different institutions. So for, for me, I wanted academic balance. I wanted the experience to learn uh, um, in a very small environment academically, but also in the basketball court, I wanted to have that space to make mistakes and to learn and to really have someone uh, in a coach that was more, having more emphasis and, and development rather than um, you know, wins and losses. Well, it's it's pretty interesting when you think about that decision and how it actually helped your development. When you look at your your stats, you know, still to this day, you still have the NCAA record for 492 career blocks. You also have you know 1,140 career block shots at the Warriors, and then 3,400 rebounds. It's it's incredible. And you know, when you think about that, I think there's there's a little bit of homage you got to pay to your grandmother, like the effort that you have to put in to to put in those numbers. But I, I want to get into your mindset a little bit because, you know, being a big man in, in basketball, there's obviously a mindset to it. When you're in the key, you're protecting the baseline, whether it's going to block the shot or someone's coming in. What is your, like, what is your mindset when you're, when you're in that key? So I always used to tell, uh, you know, the players, them, <laughs> I am your last line of defense. If, uh, if anybody gets through me, it, the war is over. <laughs> so, so it's like, and, uh, and that, was, uh, that was a concept that my dad helped me develop. He's like, you know, uh, when all else fails, you have to be the last man standing. Right. And, and you have to make it impossible, you know, for, uh, for somebody to score over you. Your job is to be a pest. Your job is to make sure that you protect your teammates. They are going to break down, and your job is to be that last line of defense where anything by you signals the end of it all. It's, it's, it's over. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that was an interesting way for me to think about my role. You know, it didn't matter what I did offensively. It didn't matter how effective I was. Uh, what was important is defensively, it's really stopping the other team. I've always been a very, um, I think part of the reason why I've been such a, a good defensive player because I have that protective instinct. I always want to protect my teammates. Right. And, uh, and, 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 and being challenged is something that really gets underneath my skin. When you challenge me, it is important for me to always meet that challenge and exceed it. So I've, I've, I have that kind of a trigger. The moment you challenge me, everything starts tingling. Right, right. <laughs> but, but did you ever feel like because the key was essentially your house, right? You had to protect it. Did you feel like when someone was in there, it was like you, like, get out of my house. Like, get out of my area. It, it almost it felt like a violation of, uh, of your home. Like, you were in my home without being invited <laughs> and drinking my alcohol and uh, sipping on my coffee and I did not give you permission to do that. That's right. very disrespectful. So, I, I mean, I really did see it in, in, in that kind of context and uh, therefore it was very easy to be responsive. I'm, you need to get out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's what I was looking for. Exactly. Beautiful, beautiful. So, as a player, how did you get prepared for games? Did, um, you know, obviously when we talk about routines, did you ever have a routine? Did you get nervous? Did you get excited? 
I was nauseous before every game. <laughs> I, I, I literally, it didn't matter from high school. Even if I, I knew we were going to beat a team um, by 20 points in high school, I was still nauseous. I, I was nauseous until, um, you know, until uh, jump ball. I had to get hit. As soon as the ball went up in the air and I, I, I made the first contact, the nerves uh, subside. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's, I think in terms of routine, I mean, I have some really weird routine, some of which I'm not really willing to share right now. <laughs> but uh, right. I mean, like there are things that uh, I did before every game. But I, the one that I would share is that I always uh, I, I took a nap. Um, and, uh, and, and to me, between leaving the house and getting to the game was um, an opportunity for um, really, really loud Caribbean music. Really loud. Wow. Um, definitely loud in my car on the way to uh, the arena, dancing all the way. I'm an island boy. Music is very important to us. So music was one of those essential things that was always in my car before the game. If you see me at a stoplight, you would have, you would swear that I had a stroke because <laughs> I was literally <laughs> dancing full on oh, yeah. at the stop sign, stoplight, didn't matter underwear to the arena. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, I, I feel the same thing when I competed. Um, I always had to mm -hmm. listen to music and literally from 10 years old all the way to my very last football game in college, there was a band and a song that I listened to every single game my whole life from 10 <laughs> years old till I was 20. So I, and I get it. And still to this day, I can't work without having music around. It just didn't seem right. So yeah, yeah power to the music, right? Power to the music. How different, you know, when you think about your role as a big man, how different is the game now as far as the big man role? Well, I think the big man has been uh, all but forgotten in, the, in this system. Um, they have been seen more as, um, well, defend of the basket, setting picks, and, and, and cutting for, for dunks. I mean, uh, I've been watching the game, and it's been pretty depressing that even the most skillful big big man in the game today doesn't have the basic jump hook I, I i am i'm frightened about the the future of the league and yet i'm hopeful because i'm a, i'm part of that uh, that process as well to make sure that the, the, the league stays intact but when you look at what's happening today is that the 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 question that you have to ask i think as a big man is that how do you view your role in a game that is purposefully moving and passing you by? And what is your responsibility to the game, you know, to define your, your role in, in this game? I, I, I think that I've never been one of those people who think that uh, one player uh, moved the league in one way versus the other. I think that that is true. But it's, I always think of it as a pendulum. Like, for whatever reason, the pendulum will swing back because at the end of the day, the players define what happens in the code. So if you have a Kim Olajuwon in the flow, he will define uh, you know, right. what, the, what the league looks like. If you have a Steph Curry, a Michael Jordan, they will define it. But in, in each generation uh, has an opportunity to, to, re, uh, to move back the pendulum into, into the direction that, they, that the talent will, will, will dictate. Well, even when you played, and even before, the players before when you played, uh, the game was so physical. Why do you think, why did the game change from a physicality perspective? And if anything, like, well, it's a little soft. 
Right. Well, the, the the league wanted it. I mean, let's let's be honest, and the and the players wanted it because your body lasts a lot longer, <laughs> um, you know. So I mean, the, but the game, um, I think the game demanded more entertainment, and more entertainment, more entertainment meant uh, the movement of of uh, the, the the right of freedom, freedom across the lane, and not clogging the lane up. More dunks, more um, high flying play, and in order to have that, you had to open up the way the game was played. So what we you know, so what they start doing is that the hand checking became obsolete where you can touch players, freedom of movement across the paint becomes more of a buzzword than right. you know grind out uh, defense which was uh, an indicative of, of, of the East in many ways uh, so the game became more the way the West used to play in the old days mm. I mean none of what we're seeing now is, is is an epiphany or, or, or is new it's always been there and that's been the conflict with our league which is the way the Western style Phoenix Suns versus the New York Knicks, you right. know, half court uh, Detroit. I mean, it's <laughs> always been that that kind of way, that 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 push pull. Uh, I think now that the 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 movement offense, the motion offense, the shoot first offense is is having its having its day. But I, I think like like we've seen throughout the the, the game's history is that if you have uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and you can't stop him because he has an unstoppable weapon, then in many ways he defines what the game looks like right. because he's going to score 100 points if you can't stop him. <laughs> right. So, uh, and if Steph Curry, you know, is defining the game the way it is now, then obviously somebody else is going to have an opportunity to redefine the game in another, in another way. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's just interesting, when I, when I was growing up, I didn't realize how physical the game was. When you think of like the Celtics and the Lakers and I mean, all the fights, like you didn't you didn't realize as a kid. But then now you see like you see Draymond Green maybe push somebody. It's like, oh my God, what's what's he doing? I'm like, what do you mean, what's he doing? You got to see what Larry Bird was going through back in the '80s and the '90s. So it's just crazy the the evolution of the game where it's at. Are you? You know, everybody, t uh, I was told my entire life that, you know, basketball is a non-contact sport. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, the <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, uh, the first time my dad came to a game, and uh, an NBA game, and he looked at what was happening. He was like, he was over there, and he had his hand over his mouth. He was like, and every time I get hit or initiate a contact, you go, oh, <laughs> because he was having empathetic pain. It's like watching the game from a distance. It is so elegant until you realize what's happening, you know, within the confines of the paint and within the confines of defense. So it, it was always a fascinating thing when people think that the game was non-contact. And uh, because I was like, yeah, tell that to my knees, tell that to my ankle, tell that to my eyes, tell that to my teeth, tell that to every part of my body that right. has been uh, destroyed over the years <laughs> right well when you think about flow and zone we, we know that's one of the most beautiful things to experience as an athlete um, besides winning a championship of course right can you share a time where you where you had that moment of flow and zone throughout your career yeah, I think if you're lucky as an athlete, you've had an opportunity to experience the the euphoria of a moment where everything you seem to do is is been 
it's it's amazing. I I would say I would sh I would share the first thing I would share is maybe out of out of sports. I remember that feeling you get when you have spent the work you put in the work to get a um, to get a good grade to study for a test, and you get into the uh, the testing center, you get into your class, and every question you you read through you like you knew the answer to it right. it's instantaneous like oh, yeah. it, it's just like everything is flowing back out and it is in sync you can do no wrong you are just acing this test that you have studied for you did the work and you're in there and you're in that moment no matter how no matter how tricky the question is you can see through it it's just linear it's like this Oh, yeah, <laughs> the world is my universe, and uh, you know, and I'm here. So uh, I've I've had that, uh, <laughs> not a lot uh, with uh, with exams. I've had a few of those moments because I always uh, I've never really been a, a, a good at test taking, but I've had those unique moment when you uh, get that when everything seems to be right. And I, I think it's also very true in sports. I, I've had one of those moments as a professional. I had a lot more in high school and a lot more in college. But mm. I've, I had really one of those great moments a, as a professional where I was throwing up jump hook. It uh, didn't matter where I put them up from. They were going in. I think I ended the game uh, uh, at 9 for 10 or 11 for 12. It was it was one of those amazing wow. uh, night in the game. I, you know, I just put it up and I knew it was in. And you're like, okay, well, that's done. I'm going <laughs> to run back down the floor and do it again. You know, so... Uh, a floor is a is an amazing thing, and I, and I hope that every athlete and 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 not just athlete, but in other aspect of your life, you're able to experience that that opportunity when everything seems to be right. You know, when the basket seems to be uh, three times the size that it is, and your brain seems to flow just the way you want it to, and 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 get you to where you want to get to, and answer the questions that you want answered. So <laughs> right. it, it's it's quite it's quite remarkable. What was the, the game that you had the most blocked shots in your career? And would you consider that be a flow moment? You know, that was one of the interesting things about basketball. So I remember several games in which I had nine blocks. And I was doing really, really great. I mean, uh, I mean, I had one game where I was like, I think I was nine probably about eight times in my career. And the, the, the strangest thing happened. Nobody wants to bring the ball into the paint to make layups. I mean, so it wasn't my fault that I couldn't block any more shot because everybody just stopped at the free throw line. I'm like, we're not going in there. We're just going to have a runner. Or we're going to have a jump hook. I love it. We're not going into the paint and making any layups. So uh, I had those moments from a, from a block shot perspective, but those are, are you're not in, in control so much of those moments because – uh, the moment you have eight and nine bucks, somebody's going to be like, yeah, I ain't going in there. I'm right. just going to throw the ball up or shoot a three. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you, when you reflect on your whole career, what was the hardest part of your career and how did you deal with the adversity of it? Well, I think by far in any uh, athlete's career, I think it's going to always go back to injuries. Um, the ability you know, I think injuries. When when you when you succumb to injuries, or when uh, you know you're inflicted by injuries, it has this cascading effect of you know destroying so much of the things that you spend your life building up. You know, uh, it it's uh, it, it it's really destroys your confidence. It it creates fear in your mind. I mean, it does. It, it's injury. I mean, it just collapses your 
your shell, the cocoon you put around yourself as an athlete, you know, to, to brace the world is, is shattered in, in many ways. And, and injury is not only about rebuilding the physical body and, and taking care of the physical wound, it's also about really rebuilding your, your, your coat of your armor around mm. you. It's it's about rebuilding the mental uh, mind. It's about rebuilding the 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 kind of what we call wall from the outside world. They, as an athlete, you come, you spend your life uh, pre-packaging this 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 kind of wall around you to protect you from the outside, to protect uh, your ego, to protect your mind, to protect your confidence. You build up these. These uh, this physical body, but you build up these uh, these walls and these uh, and these things that to help protect you uh, mentally as well. And when you have an injury, the injury tend to just shatters everything around you. And it's it's been for me uh, one of the most uh, debilitating part about being an athlete is that um, when that connection between the mind and the physical body severs, it, it is. It is frightening and it is scary and it's uh, you you go through all the emotions um, in a, in a way that is so visceral because it's like when you can't walk as an athlete where you spend your life doing incredible things and you have a knee surgery you have yeah. a back surgery and you have to lay still and and you can't do the thing it's it shatters everything around you more than the physical body. Oh, you're, you're preaching the gospel there because, you know, for someone who, you know, I played football for 13 years and, um, you know, I've had two hip replacements, shattered my right ring finger, redone my right shoulder. And it's one thing to come back physically, but if you don't got the mindset behind it, you're, you're, you're still half that athlete. And one of the reasons that I've actually got into my profession now, being a mental performance coach, and as, you know, you and I went to the same school to get our master's in, you know, that was one of the reasons why I actually wanted to be a mental performance coach is to help injured athletes get back on the field. But then I realized there's so much more to work with there. Now, speaking of sports psychology and sports psychologists, when you played, did you ever, did you have those resources around? Did you, did you adopt the mental game back then? No, I think part of my evolution uh, to this this field was really um, realizing the need that existed in, 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 our, in our business. And, um, you know, being around um, these amazing athletes and to see, you know, these moments when they become vulnerable in ways that is, is haunting and, um, and realizing that there was something else missing. I've always had, I think in my mind, I've always you know, had some of those uh, those instincts, as, as I think we all do. I mean, I don't know whether it's Darwinian or whatever, but I think athletes, by definition, have some of those innate sports psychology instincts, <laughs> yeah, right? Because right. it's like, it, it's almost like, whether you, you uh, learn it formally, I think a lot of guys just were mentally tough. That was something that... I don't think you had to, to learn about that. If you make it to the NBA and you play certain sports, you're gonna, you're yeah. gonna, it requires a certain amount of skill set beyond the physical body. So I felt like a lot of guys had those, uh, some of those innate skills, but they couldn't call in them as readily. It eventually mm. ca uh, you know, came to them, but th th there wasn't a way to call in it when you need it, like your physical body. Like, you know, you can go to the, the weight room right away and walk and, and become stronger in two months or three yeah. months. But there wasn't this linear path when it comes to uh, performance coaching. So for me, I, 
I understood elements of it, but uh, until I went into JFK, and I, I've been fortunate because uh, I went to the John F. Kennedy University in, 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 in the sports psychology department, and because I was an athlete at the time, it took me 10 years to do a two-year program, which wow. was the most amazing thing because I was able to be in the field mm. uh, constantly as it evolved, and I was able to, to, to understand it in a way over time that I felt like, it was on my own time, so I was able to apply it uh, to what I was doing uh, while I was doing it and be able to come back with message from the field. So oh, I thought awesome. it, it, was, it, was, it was a fascinating thing for me. And I was obviously talking to some of my, the, my teammates and stuff about, you know, motivation issues and, and how do you talk about setting goals and all, all the things that yeah. we do. I, you know, I felt like I was getting a... Uh, a front row seat uh, to, to kind of self-experiment, so to speak. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's like not only were you getting your education, you're getting more of an experience. Right. That was great. Now, before we talk about the finals and the Warriors, when you, when, when you look back to your, at your career, what did you learn the most about yourself? I will say that um, one is that I, I was a lot tougher than I thought I was. Um, and, and, and I think, too, is I learn a lot about myself. I, I think that sports has a way to reveal the hidden layer of who you are in a way because it's, I, I call it like being uh, dead in a coffin and just being exposed to the world mm. in, a, in a way that they, they're celebrating the, um, the, um, the gladiator quality of who you are. But in, in today's uh, world, it's, it's a bit more exposing. They can see you uh, in a way that most people wouldn't. So you think about if you had a bad day at work, maybe a few people get to see you have a bad day at work. If you have a bad day as an athlete, the world sees you. I mean, yeah. look at what's happened to J.R. Smith. I mean, one moment is, has the potential to define a life. And obviously, we know that that's unfair, but that's the nature of sports. So yeah. you, you learn, either you face those moments and you bend them to make sure that they don't take over who you are. And you see them for what they are, which is these moments in time. And the world is trying to tell you, this is who you are. And you have to really put up these barriers to say, yeah. that is not how I define myself. It's one aspect of myself. But it's, it's almost being buried alive in a coffin where everybody's just looking at you at your most frail moment <laughs> oh, in your man. life. You know, it's, it's, it's a great point because when I'm working with college athletes and high school athletes, they're still developing their mindset. And so they're, they're really, it's hard to get them to think about, like, your performance doesn't define who you are. And you really have to work with these athletes to figure out, who are you? Actually, let's not talk about being the, the athlete. Who are you outside of it? Because when you get, to, you get an athlete that can get to that point, then when you do a J.R. Smith, you can deal with those situations a little bit better, right? Hopefully. Right? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. The finals. I can only imagine. I know for me, when Super Bowl comes around, it's the most exciting time for me. The finals, is that, do you get pumped up for it, or is it, how do you feel when the finals come around? I am so bored when the final. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the NBA finals, I mean, it's the, it's the pinnacle of everything you hold dear as an athlete, and especially when it's in your field um, that you have participated in as an athlete. And, and But to be the Warriors uh, community ambassador and, 
to be an ABC7 analyst and to be watching the game yeah. in, 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 uh, in such a close way uh, and kind of trying to be down the middle, you know, analytical, <laughs> but at the same time, you're like, go Warriors, you know, um, because it's your team that you support. It, it's incredible. I mean, I, I played for the Warriors at a time when, you know, we weren't very good. And, uh, and so to, to be able to live through that moment and then end up at this time where we are the top the talk of the world about right. who we are as as a team and a, as an organization. So it, it's it's remarkable in, in many ways. For me, it's remarkable because I've always felt like the Bay Area is one of those places that can really be um, this amazing venue for, for for professional sport. But we for many years we didn't have that. So to be able to have that now and where you've seen people enjoying basketball after years and years of supporting uh, the Warriors organization, they now having that moment uh, of levity. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable. And, and I think as a player who played for the organization and to see how the organization have evolved over the years, it's, it's also remarkable. But it's also learning to appreciate the game from a different perspective mm. where you're not directly involved with it, but now you have to look and analyze behind the scene and, and beneath the surface. And that, that is very intriguing as a, as a second act, yeah. um, you know, to, to watch, to watch my, this sport that I love uh, such a, so much. Awesome. Awesome. Why do, you think, why do you think the Warriors are so special? And what's, what's so different from them now than when you played? Well, obviously, I think talent is a great, uh, great way of... Um, I've really seen this team. We, at the end of my career, we had the We Believe team, and I, and in many respect, I believe the We Believe team is a model for this current uh, iteration with, with Baron Davis and at the at the helm of that, uh, of that team. I think it it it, it serves as a model for the current iteration of the Warriors. Um, that's obviously my opinion, but I, but I think that the the kind of play that we did uh, against Dallas and. And how we were able to beat them, I think, uh, was a blueprint in many ways of, of this of this team. So, but I think more than that is is that when you look at this organization, we had a takeover of management. Obviously, the team was right. sold, so that's always a good thing. You have somebody who uh, an organization that came in uh, that wanted to invest more in, in 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 the team and in the talent that we that we brought in. And then you, you know, it, it, you take that to the quality of people in leadership. So uh, th those things are very important in setting the tone. But to me, one of the biggest thing is the, is the culture of the organization has changed significantly, where there is an emphasis on winning. There is an emphasis on really having that community-like feel where everybody is in it uh, for, 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 for each other. So I, I think there's been some uh, tectonic shift in terms of how we view um, the, 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 the shattering of old culture and the reemergence of a culture that is more inclusive and, and, and really wants more, um, not only for what athletes do on the floor, but what they do off the floor. I mean, when you look at this group of guys, they are incredible um, basketball players. But they're incredible people, right. and uh, and I think that that's part of the the, the, the genesis. I mean, the Warriors um, is and a team is as good as the people that is involved in it, and and, and I think the fan appreciate 
how hard they work, how together they are. You know, people talk about, you know, the chemistry. I think that's a way of saying is that they look like they like each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, when you look at the organization, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this organization has adopted mental skills training, but also just adopted mental performance from the executives all the way down to the players. Is that true? Because it seems like everyone is connected and everyone is, is on the same page. Well, I think that uh, what they do very well is to, not, to expose the players to everything that is available to them. Mm. And, 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 and that is, you know, from understanding what, it, what are the needs of, of, of each individual players and really trying to make sure that they give them a path um, to understanding that and, 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 and leaving it open so that they can get what they want from each moment. So I, I feel like it's been open to everything, open to listening to the players about their body, opening to the science of, uh, of exercise and what it means uh, in terms of recovery, what do you eat. I think it's a holistic approach yeah. that they have to basketball. And I think my, my mental, mental skill is certainly part of that. We're going to talk about how you transitioned out of sport and kind of where you're at right now. But before we get into that, why do you think it's difficult for athletes to transition out of sport? Well, I think, you know, by its very definition is that athletes' uh, identity is very much wrapped up in sports. I mean, we, there, there is no choice. Uh, I, I used to always say the very thing that makes someone a great athlete is the very thing that makes it difficult for them to retire, and that is the single-mindedness and the single-minded pursuit of your sport. In many ways, athletes have this tunnel vision when it comes to sports, and that makes them incredible at it, but that very thing makes them very, very hard to transition out of it. Mm. It's because sports become very much everything and everything about who they are, uh, and then you take that and and then you start doing the more, uh, not only the psychological impact, but also the sociological, the decisions you make in your everyday life, uh, uh, as well as the financial decisions you make. So uh, most people tend to look at things uh, from a psychological perspective. Uh, certainly I do. But uh, what I learned, uh, especially I've uh, gone through the transition process, is that it's more than just psychology. It's really about financials. It's really about sociology. And it's really about history. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's a bit more robust. So the decisions you make financially will impact how difficult your transition is going to be. Because if you make really bad decisions, you don't have as much resources save up. Right. That transition is going to just be automatically more difficult. Because instead of you know, taking some time to figure out uh, what, what the next step is, you have to jump into something to make money because you make bad financial decisions. So that's like one way. Sociologically, how you choose to bring uh, kids into the world can have a serious impact. How you cho whether you choose to get married and whether you get divorced, there's a really large uh, um, amount of divorce among retired athletes um, for whatever reason. So, I mean, all of these things are going to have an impact on how you transition from your game beyond just um, that you're going to tough it out. You, right. There is really um, a much more holistic approach, that I think, that is needed when you're looking uh, at transition. So for me, um, it's uh, I, because I understood that my, my, um, 
my master's uh, thesis was on transition uh, from, uh, was a uh, uh, NBA uh, transition. So I interviewed over 10 athletes and talked to them about, you know, what were some of the challenges that they faced in, 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 in retirement and really had a, a body of work to look at as yeah. I was exiting the league. So I, I leaned heavily and, and, and that knowledge in preparing my exit and making sure that I had a lot of things in place. Awesome. Do you think the NBA has resources in place right now that are going to assist these players? I think everybody, I think all the, the, the organization uh, have uh, some form of uh, transition program. I think the question always is, is how effective are those programs and, and why, and if they're not as effective as they need to be, why? Right. And, and I think we need to be more um, uh, academic base. And when it comes to, uh, to programs, I think we need to go back and do much more robust academic studying of like what works, what doesn't, and really talk to the people who have went through it. I think that most of what we do is implement a program, but there's not, they don't, we don't have the feedback loop to go back mm. and say, is this program really doing what it's supposed to do? Right. And, and have we been talking to the people that, have, uh, that, uh, that went through this program and can shed light and... And, and what the next iteration of it is, what to change, what to tweak. The only people that can tell you uh, about that is the people who have been through it. So I, I think that those, so, to me, uh, the next step for professional sports is to tie transition really to an academic institution and do more robust academic um, uh, research. Yeah, I agree. That's great. A couple more questions here before we wrap up here. You know, you wrote a lot of books. Uh, the athlete CEO, when the ball is laid to rest, winning the money game, and then you also have these children books, uh, Too Tall Foil. Not only writing these books and then getting involved in philanthropy and, and charities, what's been your motive and your drive to, to write these books and then get involved with charities? I will say that um, th there is a moral imperative in my mind always that the, the athlete has to give back in order to transform his or her generation because I think in many ways is that when you come through the system despite your success you understand instinctively that how difficult it is I always felt that part of my moral obligation to my society is to is to be of service to the next generation um, and it's to find ways to be of service. So I always felt no matter what I did or do on an ongoing basis is that it requires to give back something in that. And that is just, I think, for me, it's my grandmother, it's my upbringing, it's my understanding of the role that so many people played in my life that, that helped me on my path. When you look at a career and you look at a life, that life is informed by so many people. And if, if you don't get on the, and, 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 and the wagon and really start empowering and helping the next generation, then that generation don't have the resources they need to, to make a better future for themselves and, and hopefully to change the world in, in, in amazing ways. Well, I think it's awesome. I think you're, what you do and in, in your energy that you put towards these charities and your books are awesome. So one more question. I know this is going to be a this is a tiring topic right now in sports. Who's the greatest of all time in basketball? A Donald Foil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm talking about all right. You know, I, I 
I think it's an interesting uh, debate that we always have it, it, when you talk about who is the GOAT. I just think it's it's not as as worthwhile for the people who play the sport um, because time and place matters and 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 it can never be replicated. So right. I I always been reluctant to have the the conversation. You can look at the metrics, you can look at the points, you can look at the rebound championship, all that stuff. But it, it to me is insignificant. And I, and I'll give you an example. Let's just say you're Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, playing in the 90s, and let's just say you are Bill Russell playing in the 60s. Right, right. Is there really a comparison between being spat on yeah. and dealing with the, the racial chaos of that moment and a basketball game right. in that moment? Right. I mean, is, does, it, it, does it even really compute mm. in, the, in the mind of that athlete? Uh, with basketball, I guarantee, is all burnt. 20th because yeah. your life and preservation <laughs> of your life is probably number one, two, three, and 19. Right, right. Right. So, <laughs> there, so it's impossible to say what Bill Russell with 11 championships would have been had he not had to deal with all that difficulty. Right. How could you compare that with a modern athlete? There is no comparison. So therefore, to me, the debate always is, is silly. It it's is. about what we do when we're having a good beer that we want to talk about, which is totally fine. <laughs> but there will never be a comparison unless you can freeze time and circumstances. Right, right. Yeah, and if, you know, Michael Jordan played basketball right out of high school, had more years. I mean, who knows what his, his numbers would be. But it's also really interesting, not too long ago, I had Roger Craig on my show. And I ended the show with the same question about Tom Brady and Joe Montana. And he had almost the exact same answer. He's like, you can't compare it. Two, two different eras of football, different offenses. Like, it's just, you just can't. Like, they're both great. Right. <laughs> you know? So, enough said on that, right? Indeed. Well, Donald, this is um, this is awesome, man. It's it's really cool to get into your mind and understand your background, and your journey, and uh, your stories, and just sharing a little bit about the the Warrior organization is always cool, especially at this time. So, again, I want to thank you so much for being on my show and sharing your energy. Uh, thank you for having me, man. This is cool. Appreciate it. Awesome.